Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We go right to our first guest, who is Charlemagne, the god of the Breakfast Club. And you can look him up and Google him, and you can find out all the things he's been doing. And he got a lot of publicity recently, and I was really surprised at some of the responses I know from some brothers and sisters that should know better. But before we go into that, sir, I'd like to have you just take a minute or two and just share with our listeners a little bit about your background so they'll know you personally. Papa Rye, what's happening? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a brother raised uh, in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Uh, it's a small town about 20, 30 minutes from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a, in a very poor rural area, a dirt road, single-wide trailer, second second oldest of, of, of five kids. I got an older sister, two younger brothers, and a younger sister. Um, grew up in a household with a mother and father. Um, my father had his, his own you know, issues with, with, with mental health, is, you know, as well as substance abuse, but he, he was still a good man, you know, who instilled a lot of great values in me. My mother was an English teacher who was raised a Jehovah's Witness. She's still a Jehovah's Witness to this day, so that's how I basically grew up. I grew up, um, you know, in, uh, under the under the safe of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, um, I, I started, you know, running, running the streets and doing things I had no business doing, so, you know, I did a little bit of jail time and, you know, my father would always tell me if I don't change my, my lifestyle, I'm going to end up in jail, dead, uh, broke sitting under the tree. And, you know, I had the wherewithal at a very young age to to realize that he was right because I saw it happening to, you know, my family members around me and friends around me. So I decided to, you know, change my lifestyle. And, you know, with that came an internship at the, at the radio station. And, you know, the rest is kind of kind of history, I guess. I'm a, I'm a nationally syndicated radio personality now um the breakfast club is broadcasting 100 plus markets throughout the country and god is good that's 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 the short that's the short summary of my story that's yeah well that's, that's outstanding because that shares a lot of information with our listening audience they want to yeah, know the uh the history behind the man so uh, uh now you also have interviewed a number of people seeking elective office including uh presidential candidates and uh want you to share a little bit about that uh, how did, uh, I mean, you're in 100 markets, so obviously anybody seeking the black vote would want to get on the Breakfast Club. And then uh, I just implore people to see the whole YouTube interview with you and Vice President Joseph Biden, because a lot of, oh, they grabbed onto the last thing he said, and what, would you reiterate the substance of the interview, what you was asking him to do for black people in this country? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I, um, I, 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 the presidential candidate thing came about just because about, like, in 2014, being from South Carolina, me and a brother named uh, Bakari Sellers, you know, we're really good friends, and he was running for lieutenant governor, and, you know, Bakari was smart enough to know that, you know, he had to energize, you know, um, more, of the, more of the younger audience, you know, in, in South Carolina. So I decided to bring him on the Breakfast Club. You know, it's not like at the time Bakari had a national presence. I just feel like, you know, when you have a platform – whether it's radio, whether it's television, you know, it's not about interviewing who that, that A-list celebrity, you know, it's about actually getting some information out there that our people can, 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 can use on a daily basis. And I felt like Bakari could do great things for the state of South Carolina, so I decided to put him on the platform. And, you know, it, it, it helped him out a lot. He didn't, he didn't win, per se, but, you know, it definitely increased his profile. And, you know, from there, you know, Bakari just started putting the word out to different you know, candidates and also other political pundits about, you know, 
the 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 power of our show, I guess you know. If if you, if you want, to, I don't I don't like to say that, but yeah, I guess the, the reach the reach of our show is a better word. And so you know, yeah. your, your daughter, of course, Angela Rise, another one who started to come on, and I think the word just got out. And so slowly but surely, all of these different presidential candidates used to come on. And I also want to just take this time to talk about diversity. The fact that at the time in 2016, uh, Bernie Sanders had people like Simone Sanders and Killer Mike and Nina Turner being surrogates for him. They were able to tell him about the Breakfast Club. And the same thing with Hillary Clinton. She had people like Maya Harris on her team, as well as Karen Civil and a few other sisters. And they were able to tell her, hey, you need to be on the Breakfast Club. And that kind of just got the ball rolling. So this year, uh, last year, 2019, when all these Democrats started announcing their presidential campaigns, they all just started coming through one by one. Of course, it started with the brothers and the sisters like Cory Booker and Senator Kamala Harris. But then all the white ones got on board as well. And I guess that's what led up to, to, to the Biden interview that I had last week. And in that Biden interview, like I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get and I posted Post that on my Facebook page uh, for people to be able to see. Now, you uh, you know, you went into some very substantive issues about the black community, how we've been left out, and I think that's what was a boiling point. We're seeing this all across the country now, where people are sick and tired of, of the police brutality and the racism. And, uh, Absolutely. Uh, uh, you had made some recommendations, including uh, reparations, uh, to, uh, which you just... Uh, Give us a quick uh, summary of uh, the requests you made or the subjects you discussed with Vice President Biden. And like a lot of people that saw, you know, her, the little snippet at the end, you know, they, I took that like whether you're going to vote for Trump or you're going to vote for Biden. I mean, you know, that wasn't even the substance of the interview had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, you didn't <laughs> even react to it like uh, a lot of people th- uh, thought you should have. But you kept your eyes on the prize, and that was what are you going to do for black folks? So if you could That's summarize it. that, it would be great. Well, yeah, you know, for me, uh, when, when when Joe Biden, you know, ran with President Obama, I didn't I didn't know anything about him. You know, I wasn't politi- politically sophisticated or educated like that back then. I was just, you know, energized that a black man actually had a chance to become president. So I wasn't really paying attention to his renommé, who his renommé was. But you know, now that he's, you know, the, the, the guy Biden is, and he's the candidate, you know, and even prior to that in the primaries, just just looking over his record and trying to decide if I wanted to vote for him or not, it's just a lot of things that I don't like. You know, this is a man that's been behind legislation that supported the war on drugs and mass incarceration. So I just always wonder why there's so much resistance in admitting that the crime bill and other legislation he was a part of was so damaging to the black community. You know, you're talking about a man who was behind the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 84 that established mandatory minimum sentences for drug offenses by the 86 Anti-Drug Abuse Act that created crack cocaine sentencing disparities, sentencing disparities and the 94 Crime Bill. So it's like I wanted to give him an opportunity to kind of atone for that. But, you know, he did what a lot of old white men do, and that's just, just double down on the BS instead of, you know, admitting it was wrong. So we didn't even get a chance to get to, you know, what are you going to do moving forward in regards to this legislation that you implemented so you can write some of those wrongs, you know, and then, you know, he leans on President Obama a lot and, you know, what, what he did with President Obama, and that's understandable because that is part of his record, but I wanted to talk to him about his time as a senator and what were some things he did for black people as a senator that he was most proud of. And he, you know, he, he said a few, of those, a few of those things, but, you know, for me, it's like, okay, that's cool, 
but it's not about what you did. It's about what you are doing now and what you plan to do in the future. If you plan to be the leader of this country moving forward. But he did agree to come back and continue that interview, correct? He did, but I mean, I'm be honest with you, I think that was all BS. <laughs> Only because I saw him uh, on CNN this week with um with 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 uh with, with Dana Bass. He was on, and he said that you know it wasn't even his fault. Basically, he said it was a mistake, and he shouldn't have said it. But he also said that he was being a wise guy because I was being a wise guy. So it's just weird to me that you know a black man in America who has the audacity to ask a, a, a person who wants to be president about his record, that, that, that means I'm a wise guy? Just because I want to know what it is you plan to do, you know, for my people? I just thought that was a little bit strange. So, I mean, he may come back. I don't know. I, I, well, I think that makes me a double to. wise guy then, because I'm always advocate uh, for, for my, my people. I have no problems with Absolutely. that. And, and they keep repeating Absolutely. over and over with this Minneapolis situation about the 400 years this black men and black people uh, kind of face this brutality, uh, that, 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 you know, they, oh, you know, the man's screaming for his life. But we got to remember that uh, on Sunday afternoons, people used to get bring picnic baskets and they children to see black pit people lynched, and in some instances, tarred and feathered. So that mentality has right. still been here. And then coupled with that, that lady in Central Park called the police a lion on that brother, and just think if that stuff wasn't recorded, and just think what happened when, when we didn't have a recording. And, uh, you know, we in Seattle, we had a, a young man, 17 years old, who, uh, who uh, was accused uh, wrongly of being in a car that ran over and killed a white cop's son. And they set up a, op- a sting operation and, and uh, ended up shooting this young man in the back, me, Chance uh, 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 Giddings, Dunlap Giddings. And a black attorney, James Bible, was very successful. And uh, even it didn't even go to court. They were so wrong. But uh, the thing about it is that uh, police officers have not paid attention. Have you seen pictures of the four police officers or their names of the ones that killed uh, uh, Mr. Floyd? Um, I saw some names this morning. Uh, I saw uh, Sean King post some names this morning because all of them have been fired. Um, I saw pictures of one. I think it was the Asian officer. I think he was Asian. If, I, if I'm not, apologies, but I think he was Asian, and he was uh, standing next to the guy. And I mean, I think yeah, all he looked like he looked like an Asian to me too. <clears throat> yeah. So it was these, you know, the thing about fired. it is that we need when people commit atrocities like that, their pictures and names got to be out in the public domain, so everybody knows who the racists are. It, you can't exactly. hide from it, and we got to exactly. expose them for who they are. And I really appreciate uh, the job that, that you're doing. Let me ask my co-host, Hayward Evans, if he has a question or a comment. How you doing, Hayward? Absolutely. Well, thank you for being oh, very good, brother. But first, thank you for being on the show. But you know what got me listening to that whole interview, because you were absolutely fantastic. And when he, he when, when uh, Vice President Biden turned around and said that, that you need to figure it out, and if you're from me or Trump, then you aren't black. Get out of here. Now, we're not, we're not monotheists. Granted, we need to go along with him, but you made it clear it's about the community. It's about my community, African-American community, what you're going to do for us. But like Eddie said, you know, I was listening to Don Lemon. He, he said there are two deadly viruses that are killing Americans, the COVID-19 and racism. How do you see all this playing out, particularly in light of George uh, Floyd and what happened in Minneapolis? 
Man, that's such a great question. Um, if I'm being totally honest, uh, I don't see I see I see it getting very very bad before it gets it gets better. You know, um, I think that black people in America. I think black people in America, I don't think that America has ever atoned for its original sin, you know, which is, which is racism, I mean, which is slavery, you know, and I think that this presidential election, you know, whichever way it goes, it's going to change America forever and it's going to change politics forever. And, you know, I like the fact that a lot of different groups are recognizing the power of, of, of their vote, especially black people, and um, I think either way it goes, politicians are going to have to wake up and start realizing they need to stop taking black votes for granted and also think that the real change is going to start happening in the black community because attention is going to finally start getting paid to the black community. You know, I think these administrations on either side are going to have to start making some real economic investments in the black community that's going to have to give us access to better health care, better schools, just better opportunity, period. You know, to really live this American dream this country promised us. And I think we're in the beginning stages of a real awakening because I can't believe America didn't see it getting to this tipping point. I can't believe that America thought you could have 40 million people unemployed. The unemployment rate right now in the black community is 17 percent. People is already at their wits end. You know, they, they can't keep food on the table. You know, they can't provide for their children. They barely can provide for themselves. The only thing we got left is our dignity. And you're going to take our dignity away by just continuing to kill us in the middle of the street like this? And you think that that wasn't going to be what, what set America all the way off? So as, as, as crazy as this may sound, I think that everything you're seeing right now is divine. And I think that it's a lot of divine justice happening. And I think that, yeah, sadly, some things going to have to get tore up in America because that's what we need to do. We need to tear up this white supremacist system. We need to dismantle this whole system. This whole white supremacist system needs to be destroyed and rebuilt. And I think that's what we're, what we're seeing right now. So I, I personally don't think that um, anything is going to be fixed until one of these politicians, and, I, and, and it should be Joe Biden, he should stand up and say America has failed black people. He should stand up and say Democrats have failed black people. You know, um, we haven't been there for the black community the way that we should. Like, we should atone for slavery. We should make amends for slavery. All the underlying conditions that exist in the black community that they keep talking about, uh, you know, oh, this coronavirus is impacting the black community so hard. Yeah, it's because of all those underlying conditions. But all those underlying conditions were caused by systemic racism. And the start of that was slavery. So these white people are going to have to atone for that especially these white politicians and you know, in, 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 in positions of power. And I just want to want to make a couple of statements before he comes back in. One is that we definitely need a uh, federal category for African descendants of United States enslaved. They could come up with one for women to be involved, and they're pretty much talking about white women, to be involved in federal contracting, employment stuff. We need to have that for us. We've been here 400 years. All the wars All right. black men had to come back to, back to segregation after defending the country. World War One, two. As a matter of fact, uh, even before that, in the Civil War, six hundred thousand white people killed each other, but was keeping us in slavery. And then you got people running around here, uh, like the brother from Princeton was saying yesterday. We saw at these state capitals in Michigan, in, in Olympia, Washington, the state capital here, white with machine guns spitting in police officers' faces, all in their face, and they never do anything to them. 
Dylan Roof right. goes into Mother Emanuel uh, uh, AME Church in South Carolina, kills nine people, and the white police takes him by to get a hamburger on the way to jail. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, when it, when it comes down to the difference in enforcing the law, there is no comparison with what blacks face and what whites face. Whites can do whatever they want to to the police, and the police will not move on them. And that's something that's really, really atrocity. The other thing I want to say is that we have got to look outside of this country for economic uh, uh, stability. We have to have some trade relationships with China, with Nigeria. Uh, we have people like yourself. We have people like Common, Jay-Z, Beyonce. Uh, it's my understanding 600 million Chinese watch the NBA every week. So we have people with the platform that can get us where we need to go. And the other thing is that in college sports, basketball and football pays for all the other college sports. Uh, golf, lacrosse, women's basketball, softball, baseball, and crew don't raise a dime. But we also have got to say, since the universities are making so much money on the backs of these young black men, we need to see our students in schools, we need to see if the faculty have African Americans, the administration have African Americans, and also 10% of the contracts go to uh, black-owned firms. 10% of the deposits from those universities go to a black bank. We go right to the NBA and NFL. Each NBA and NFL team should be depositing 10% of their annual revenue in a black-owned bank. Uh, 10% of their contracts need to go to blacks, including the corporations that, that uh, finance the NBA and NFL. 10% of those contracts need to go to blacks. The, the bowl games, a percentage of that money needs to go into a black bank. And we're talking about not giving the NBA and NFL. We're not talking about giving. We're talking about a deposit and a participation in contracts where you have black men that are generating trillions of dollars in pro sports and the black community is being left out. Those are some things that's that we right. have to do. That's right. I mean, that's what that's what it's going to take. It's going to take some type of economic justice plan, some type of, you know, equity package, you know, that that, that is basically, basically reparations. But that's what it's going to take in order for America to even remotely begin to atone for what, what happened you know, during slavery. And we haven't even gotten to segregation yet. Uh, you know, reparations for the war on drugs, uh, mass incarceration. Like, this country owes black people in a major, major, major way. And just like in, in Color Purple, when Siri said, ain't no good, gonna come to you until you do right by me, that's exactly. Black people need to have our silly fingers pointed at America right now and letting them know there's no good that's gonna come to this country until they do right by the people who built this country for free, and that's black people. Well, I just want to also add, before we go back to Hayward, that on Saturday uh, there's going to be a, a protest, people wearing gloves and masks. It's going to be downtown Seattle starting at 2.30. And uh, one of my nephew's uh, friend, the best friend, Pastor Jamal Cole, is uh, the agency coordinator, and uh, the guy that's been leading uh, the charge for police accountability is Andre Johnson. His brother was also killed by the police. So that's going to be on Saturday in Seattle. And uh, uh, I hate to see violence, but, I mean, sometimes you can't control things when you have emotions like seeing somebody killed. And just, uh, we don't know what was happening before cameras came, so you can just imagine. Uh, yeah, a black man is threatening me and my dog, uh, you know, and if that brother wouldn't have been <laughs> recording that, that brother would be probably, if not in a chokehold, in jail right now, even though he was a Harvard graduate, graduate and a part of the New York Audubon Society. Go ahead, Hayward, before we run out of time. We've got about two or three more minutes. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, first of all, let me let me just go back to Joe Biden. 
when you said when you ask Vice President Biden, doesn't it appear the black uh, the Democrats take black voters for granted? Now I'm on the state platform committee in the state of Washington. In my committee meeting, I put in uh, establishing the category in the census for African descendants, United States enslaved. Now, by the time it went to the full committee, they took everything out relative to affirmative action, African-American, and they just said, you know, something that represents the community. Clearly, the dollars aren't distributed that way. So I just want to plant the seed with you to start telling people, no, we need that category. African descendants, United States enslaved. We were enslaved. We weren't slaves. We were enslaved. But, but on that note, what are, you, what are your next steps? Because, you know, there's this rumor out here that you might be leaving the Breakfast Club. What's going on with that? Uh, I mean, that's because my contract is up in December. And you know how it is. when you, when you I, guess, I guess when your contract is up in December, you know, people just always, you know, they want to see what your next move is. You know, I think um, – I think I bring some value to the show, you know. I think I bring some value to the media world, you know. So I think um, people are just people are just wondering just because they know my contract is up in December, so they want to know what my next move is, you know. Maybe maybe people got- see things in me that I, that I don't see in myself yet. You know, I, I hear a lot of conversations. People are always telling me what I should do or what I should be doing or where I should be. So, I mean, you just don't know. I'm just, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Look at what I read was all the politicians now are watching your show, watching because of you, watching this show, and they <laughs> monitor the, the young black community. Yeah, they monitor the community based on what you're saying. So clearly, I'm talking to the radio station now. Raise his pay, pay him value. Anyway, you get off of that one. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I would I would tell those politicians, man, uh, black people are not monolithic in the Breakfast Club. Even though we are a large platform, we're just one platform. And, you know, they should be listening to multiple black voices, you know. They should be listening to the brothers and sisters that are, you know, making demands of the president and, and, and are, 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 of the candidate. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Like, black people, we need to realize that our votes are quid pro quo. And when they want something from us, they have to give something to us. And they just haven't given us anything. Even to your point where you said they kept changing everything in the legislation that you were presented. That's the problem. Like, there was a specific set of circumstances that were done to black people. There were systemic things done specifically to us to marginalize us. So we need legislation that's specific to us to right those wrongs. Simple as that. African descendants of the United States enslaved would be the best start, and all that other stuff will just come along right after that. But Charlamagne, I want to say, man, you have this platform on this program anytime you so desire. I put uh, put you up on Facebook. Got a lot of uh, feedback and compliments about the fact, and a lot of people waiting to hear you. And the thing about it is, this program will be archived on UrbanForumNW.com. Uh, Stephanie O will take care of all of our Soul Sis Media takes care of all our technology. So that will this program will be archived on my website for a year. But we certainly want to have you back uh, on a regular basis so you can uh, keep uh, talking, speaking truth to power. So, brother. Thank you so much today. Is there anything you'd like to say in, in closing? No, that's it, man. Let's just keep pressure on these elected officials, um, you know, to, to, to meet our demands. Uh, and let's let's keep pressure on, you know, the, the, those, those folks in Minneapolis to make sure that those officers get arrested. And let's keep pressure on those folks in, you know, New York to make sure that uh, Amy Cooper, you know, gets, gets arrested. Because until we start holding these people accountable, you know, they're going to continue to do this to us. Until those officers get actual murder charges for taking black lives and tell those 
you know, white Karens of the world, you know, actually get arrested and held accountable for making these false allegations against black folks, they're going to keep doing it. So let's, let's, let's just keep that collective pressure going, y'all. That's it. Okay, Charlamagne, thank you so much for your time. You. And you're welcome you. to come back anytime you. you want to, brother. We appreciate you. All right. All right, Papa Rock. Okay. All right, okay. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this, after we make a few remarks about my friend who, de- who departed life on Sunday. I'm talking about Tony Orange. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Okay, here with Evans and Eddie right back. We just had a very interesting conversation with Charlemagne the God. And uh, as everybody knows by now, last Sunday, uh, my friend and uh, servant of the people, uh, Tony Orange, passed away. Uh, he had been ill for quite a while. He had battled cancer. We thought he had defeated that. But next week, this program will be dedicated to the memory and uh, Tony Orange to talk about his contributions with a significant number of people. And I know tomorrow on uh, Chris B. Bennett's program on the Z-Twins from 7 to 8, there will be a significant number of people paying tribute to Tony there as well. Uh, matter of fact, Angela Rye was greatly influenced by Tony because we were friends and often visited each other, and he was often at our house. And... Uh, he and Angela, at a very young age, would have some fairly in-depth conversations. So she'll definitely be a part of it because he was like her godfather. So uh, Erica, let me know when we have Council Members Holly on the line. Okay. Okay, Council Member, King County Council Member Gary Zahali, how are you doing? Hello, Mr. Rye. Uh, my co-host, Haywood Evans, is also on the line, Council Member. I want to thank you so much for taking time to uh, today to be on the program. I also want to let you know, Anytime any issue comes up, 
that you want to let our listening audience know about, this uh, uh, program is available for you to do that. Okay? So I just want to make sure you know that first. Thank you so much for that opportunity. I appreciate you. Yeah, would you uh, go ahead and uh, just give our listening audience a little uh, brief uh, bio about who you are, where you came from. I know you were a BSU president, and you've been active in the community for a long time. So why don't you just take some time and talk just about that? Yes, sir. Hello, everybody. My name is Germai Zahalai. I am a newly elected King County Council member representing King County District 2, which goes from the top of the University of Washington all the way on the southern border to Skyway. Uh, East-west borders are I-5 in Lake Washington, so you can think of it as a long, narrow corridor, corridor from UW to Skyway. And I actually grew up in this district. I grew up in South Seattle. I graduated from Bailey Gatzer Elementary in the CD, graduated from Mercer Middle School, Franklin High School. I'm a Quaker. Um, went to college down in California, got my law degree in Philly. Um, uh, I, uh, by way of professional background, I'm an attorney, and I've done a lot of anti-poverty work as well. Um, I ran for this position to represent the district where I grew up, make sure that we have enough affordable housing for people, make sure that our criminal legal systems are reformed and fair and equitable for our communities, um, make sure that King County really walks the walk on equity and prioritizes the communities that have been most impacted by our systems. And that work is more important than ever now in the age of COVID. And I'm excited to get into that conversation as well, Mr. Rye. Thank you for having me. Yeah, now would you pronounce your name one more time? Because I've been mis- mispronouncing your name. First name is Germai. I tell Germai. people it's like my guy Germai. That helps. My guy Germai. Okay, I got you. That, that helps. <laughs> the last name? And last name Zahalai. Germai Zahalai. Okay, Zahalai. Okay. I want to get to get that straight, so I, I would stop mispronouncing your name. So in terms of, uh, I know it's just been a short period of time, but could you share with our listeners some of the stuff? The issues that you've been working on since you've been in office? Absolutely. Uh, we've been working on a bunch of stuff. As you know, there were plenty of uh, issues to address before COVID-19. And then this virus comes and makes everything a lot worse and makes our tools to address these problems uh, weaker. So whereas I had all these plans for organizing our communities, doing town halls and workshops, to make sure that we're all plugged in on how to create change through King County. Now all our options are virtual, and so we have to do a lot of people over email and Facebook, and so we're living in a very different world right now. Uh, But since I've gotten into office, uh, much of my work has had to do with COVID-19 response because uh, that's the big uh, issue of the day, of the year. Um, So we've had a lot of work on public health uh, responses, building housing and quarantine sites to make sure that people have a place to self-isolate if they don't want to uh, go back home and infect their family members if they have a virus. We've been doing a lot of immediate financial relief work, uh, rental assistance, free childcare, small business support. We've been supporting uh, community-based organizations with outreach grants to make sure that every resource and information that we provide as a government uh, that uh, community-based organizations have the resources to reach out into the communities that they represent and share with them information and resources. Uh, I've been teaming up with various organizations to do mask distribution in communities. 
Um, we've had a lot of work to do with regard to jails and incarcerated individuals who are at risk of getting COVID-19, making sure they're getting freed as soon as possible. Uh, you know, King County has made Metro free in light of what, what's been going on. Um, I've also been working a lot on Skyway. You know, as you know, Skyway is the southern uh, tip of my district. It's, an, it's unincorporated King County, so they don't have their own city council or a mayor. Uh, so I'm really their only local representative. So we've been doing a lot of work to make sure that <clears throat> gentrification and displacement doesn't happen in Skyway. Uh, working with Skyway Coalition community organizations to make sure that Skyway residents have the immediate uh, resources that they need in light of uh, all that's going on. As you know, that's a very important community. They have the highest proportion of African Americans of anywhere in Washington State in, in light of displacement uh, that happened in the Central District. So we really do have to prioritize that community. Uh, in terms of, uh, and I know the, the, co uh, the coronavirus has thrown everything off, off kill, but I was just trying to figure out how well were uh, African Americans doing in business opportunities with King County. We know for a while it was uh, things were kind of not very well. As a matter of fact, that, that, that's one of the reasons why you've seen so many blacks exit the city of Seattle because of lack of economic opportunity. And I was just curious to know if you had a chance to review where, where the county is and uh, give us any kind of an update on where they are with equity and inclusion, especially of African Americans. Absolutely. So we just um, <clears throat> worked on uh, grants for small businesses. There's going to be a pot of uh, funds going out to small businesses within incorporated cities like Seattle, and then we have another pot for unincorporated uh, unincorporated areas like Skyway. And so more information about those is going to be released shortly, and I'm happy to share information about uh, those opportunities with anyone who reaches out. Uh, my email is just firstname.lastname at kingcounty.gov. So is there a website set up specifically for that, that, that we, where people can access it, like, immediately? Yeah, there there is a link for that. Um, it's probably too long to okay, okay, the, I the okay. link right now, but if people we'll email have call office, you, brother. We'll have them call you. <laughs> yep, perfect. Okay, I want to see if my co-host, Hayward Evans, had any uh, questions or comments for you. Oh, Councilman, for uh, holiday. first, thank you for being here on the show today. Uh, my pleasure, I think sir. people need to understand it. No, no, it's our pleasure. But, you know, I think people should understand you're, you moved to Rainier Valley when you were only three years old from Sudan and that you're an Ethiopian-American. People don't understand your family went through a lot to get here and yes, what was sir. going on in Sudan. Then. But but on that, and how Eddie was, was talking to, is there any um, disparity study or something that we can use that, that's federally approved to say, hey, what is the county going to do to make sure uh, the African-American community is getting their fair share of contracts because, like Eddie alluded to, it's a huge, huge problem out here uh, in our community. And a lot of the businesses that would be applying for a grant had to fold. Would, would they be eligible to start back up again? Uh, I, sorry, sir. I think I missed the beginning part of your question. You said, is there any uh, something, something to make sure that African-Americans are getting contracts? Yeah, a disparity study with the system to monitor the allocation of contracts. Because what we find is that they say contracts are available, but our community isn't receiving them. So is something being put in place to stimulate 
uh, stimulate economic development within the African-American community because the serious problem has been in light of uh, I-1000, anti-affirmative action legislation in the state of Washington. A lot of the businesses that we used to have are no longer here. Is anything being done on a county level to help reestablish them? Yes, so uh, you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, the failure of I-1000 is a big obstacle for uh, using race as a, as a metric for contracts, like you said. Uh, so I, I have been working on a renewed initiative with, with people who are leading that charge on bringing back uh, an I-1000 equivalent in the next legislative session. Um, and I will work as hard as I can to make sure that that's passed in Olympia. Uh, Without that, that it's, a, it's a huge barrier to using race uh, as we should be doing. Yeah, that's uh, why I think we really got to have a designation, a federal designation for African descendants of the United States enslaved after 400 years here. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, it's like we have never been here and made any contributions. And uh, I just really think that's – but we have a couple of minutes left, and I just wanted to, uh, for you to uh, – speak to our listeners on what can they do to help you uh, get your mandate carried out? Because at one point, we used to be able to get a lot of people down to county council meetings. Now we have been, what people say, we've been uh, uh, gentrified out of the community. A lot of it has to do with economic racism, really. Uh, just wanted to find out what what could people do and where could they go to get more information about what you're doing? Absolutely. So, uh, number one, Connect with our office. Uh, we're, we're on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash councilmember.germai. You can connect with us over email. Uh, that would be germai.zahalai at kingcounty.gov. Let's get connected. We'll plug you into whatever uh, initiative you most care about. We're probably working on that topic, and having your voice and your support would go a long way. There's a lot of stuff that we're up to uh, in Skyway, in the Central District, in South Seattle, with respect to, uh, you know, looking forward, we want to work on food banks, gentrification and displacement, um, housing for youth who are housing unstable. And as you know, housing instability is the core cause of so much uh, gun violence and, and other uh, social ills that we want to heal. And we don't want to address the symptoms. We want to address uh, the source of the issue, uh, gun violence, uh, and then, you know, mass distribution, virtual mentorship for our youth. We're working on a lot of stuff, and having your voice and input would be great. So please uh, go ahead and connect with us on Facebook or on uh, or over email. And if those uh, forums don't work for you, please get in touch with Mr. Rye so that he can get in touch with me and let me know that uh, another way of communicating with you is, is a better way. I know that not everybody has access to uh, Facebook and email and things like that. So we want to make sure we're accommodating to you in this uh, new world that we're living in right now. Well, Council Member Garmai, I want to thank you very much for your time today and I want to thank you for your efforts down as a council member. And like I said, this uh, program is here for you whenever you want to get anything out to our listening audience. All you got to do is let me know, and that will happen. And if, if I see things that you're doing, we'll make, hey, we'll now make sure that we're there now. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate you. Will do, sir. Thank you so thank much, you. Mr. Ryan, everybody on this call. Appreciate your time. Okay, then. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll take a break and come back with uh, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher through my producer, Jamie Elmore, after this. 
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. All right. Hey, with Evans and Eddie Ryan back at uh, Urban Forum Northwest. Our next guest is Dr. Tiffany Crutcher. Uh, she is a real close uh, associate with Jamie Elmore, one of my producers. And uh, she is one of the organizers of an event called Their Blood Cries Out, the Tulsa Massacre and Destruction of Black Wall Street, the Case for Reparations in H.R. 40. And Dr. Crutcher suffered a major blow. I guess it's been, what, two years now, Dr. Crutcher, that you're a twin brother? Uh, about, yes, sir, about three, three years ago, uh, three and a half years, 2016, September. Okay, and you might recall... Uh, a police officer in a helicopter looking down on Terrence Richardson. Man, he looked like a bad dude. And then a white female police officer shoots him while he's surrounded by with the police. So uh, that's a, a tragedy in her life. And but then, then again, uh, it kept happening, and that's what happened in Minneapolis. But Dr. Crutcher, uh, I want to thank you first of all for being here with Hayward and I. And if you could just talk a little bit about uh, in 19, May 31st, 1921, the massacre and destruction began. Uh, and this was in, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Black folks were doing well. And so I'll let Dr. Crutcher lead into that and also talk about the event that's coming up, the YouTube live event that I shared with a lot of people on uh, email. And Stephanie Ogle, Solstice Media, has it on my Facebook page as well. So on Sunday, it would be uh, Seattle time would be 4 o'clock, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and 7 Eastern Standard. So go right ahead, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher. Well, first, let me say thank you, Uncle Eddie, Mr. Eddie, for uh, allowing me to just share on this powerful platform. Um, I just appreciate it so much. And to Mr. Hayward, um, hope you're well. Um, we are excited and honored um, to be hosting the first virtual 
reparations conference, uh, our intention or plans was to have a, a in-person conference uh, for the 99th anniversary um, of the massacre, which is coming up May 31st, as we encroach the 100-year commemoration. And with COVID-19, of course, we had to do some major shifting, and we felt that, you know, the time is now. We still have to push this message. Um, it's now or never, just like when, uh, you know, the Black Caucus and Sheila Jackson Lee and, and NARC, Dr. Ron Daniels with IWB tried to push H.R. 40 during the 400, you know, commemoration of slavery. You know, um, that was a, a, a vital time and, and nothing happened. It stalled. And so we're going to revisit H.R. 40. But right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so many people, um, they heard about it for the first time when HBO Watchmen, the superhero series, uh, came about and reenacted that scene that took place May 31st for, for almost two days through June 1st, where mobs of white rioters, police officers, Klansmen encroached and came across the tracks to North Tulsa, a prominent black wealthy community, and leveled it, burned it to the ground, shot, killed, burned, stabbed uh, black people, innocent black people, simply because of an allegation of a black man by the name of Dick Rowland attacking a white woman in an elevator, Sarah Page. And, uh, you know, that narrative has continued to, to persist just throughout the years. If you look at Emmett Till, if you look at just what happened this past week with, with the Cooper lady in New York with the bird watcher, that narrative has been a narrative that has inflicted pain up on our community. And so with this alleged assault of a white woman, it gave uh, white folks, jealous white folks, you know, permission and an incentive to come and burn down our community. And then we were self-sufficient, Uncle Eddie. We had our own planes, our own doctor's offices, lawyer, black business. We didn't have to go outside of our community for anything. And uh, 40 square blocks gone. My great-grandmother, Rebecca Brown Crutcher, had to flee in fear of her life. And, and here's the kicker. No atonement. They tried to erase this from history. You know, survivors went to, to the Supreme Court to try to fight for reparations, to try to fight for repair, and they kicked it out. They did not hear it. And, and so when, when you fast forward and you think about the racial terror that we're dealing with today, police brutality, what's happening across this country with, with uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Terrence Crutcher here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in my opinion, my strong opinion, I feel that the same culture that burned down this black community, Black Wall Street is the same culture that continues to kill black people, innocent black people, with their hands in the air. And that's happening right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we've yet to receive my family any atonement. And so we're going to be pushing and asking, you know, Congress, to, to lift the statue of limitation that they've put on us. And that's why they called it the Tulsa race riot. And, and we have to understand that words matter. You know, with the word riot, when you Google riot, you'll see black folks, you know, looting. That's what they want you to see. But in fact, it was white people that did the rioting. It was white mobs. And, and so instead of calling it a massacre, which is what it was, you know, it was by design. 
you know, they, they, they laced this into policies and there was a statute of limitations. So black people were unable to, to, to file insurance claims. Black people were unable to buy, you know, building materials to rebuild. And so with the help of 50 other black townships, neighboring townships uh, in Oklahoma, uh, they rebuilt within four years. And they rebuilt bigger and better. And then here comes urban removal. You know, they they put a highway right smack dab in the middle of our community. And uh, our our beloved community has never been the same. And so we're going to be asking for reparations that the city, that they pay, that they lift the statute of limitation. Uh, We have a petition that we're going to be putting out. And so we want for the world, the nation to know, and I'm just excited to partner with some national organizations like the Human Rights Watch. ACLU, the National African American Commission on Reparations with Dr. Ron Daniels, Brian Stevenson with the Equal Justice Initiative, the author of Just Mercy, and Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, along with our local partners here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who's been on the front lines fighting because those survivors, and they're all gone, most of them. There's one known living survivor left, and she's 105 years old. But they told us, never stop fighting. Never stop fighting. And so we're going to make that case, and we need for the nation to tune in and, and, and help us. And then we're also going to make the national case because we feel if we can get it here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, we can be that blueprint for the entire nation and, and, and really, you know, throw that alley-oop for H.R. 40 and slam dunk it. And uh, that's what we need to be asking the presidential candidates for. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if Charlemagne and, and uh, Vice President Joseph Biden actually discussed that, but uh, we've also been pushing, because of this uh, 400 years of tyranny and uh, oppression, uh, Hayward Evans and I have been uh, pushing to get the Congressional Black Caucus and other uh, progressive members of Congress, including our Congressman Adam Smith, to sponsor legislation creating a federal designation for African descendants of United States enslaved. That is the only way we're going to get treated fairly because the racism is alive and well. And if you say mm-hmm. women, white women and minorities, well, you know, a white guy is going to take a white woman, but we have to have a designation for us. We've been here 400 years. They will put everybody past us because of that hatred they have for black people. And it's proven time yes. and time again and most recently in, in, in Minneapolis. It was proven once again. Mm-hmm. There's little regard for black life. You can do anything you want to. And it's unfortunate we have other people of color that will stand around and not even intervene. And I'm really upset mm-hmm. because they should put these offenders' pictures and their names uh, out in the public domain so people will know who they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the scale of justice just doesn't tilt in our favor, and it was never designed to do that. And and, and that's why we have to join forces. I'm, I'm joining forces right now with with other sisters, the sister of Sandra Bland, the sister of Botham John, the, the sister of a Tatiana Jefferson, um, and, and so many more. And we've decided to join forces because, you know, it's personal for us. And if we yeah. can keep knocking down the door, sharing our stories, um, they can't say, oh, this was just the isolated incident. This is a systemic problem, and we are in a state of emergency. This is a public well, health uh, issue. Sandra Bland, her sister, is that her? Sharon Moore? Sharon and Shante. Shante Needham, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. One of her sisters works for Facebook in a California office, 
and she was on a panel with my daughter Angela and the chief of police, uh, Carmen Best. We have a black female uh, chief of police in the city of Seattle. But uh, so, uh, yeah, and wow. I think that's really, really, uh, really important, too. And uh, I'm sure that you'll be hearing from uh, uh, Trayvon Martin's mother. I'm sure you'll be hearing well, from yes. her as well. We're all good friends. Yeah, we're yes. all good friends. Yeah. I've, I was on a panel with your daughter, with Angela, um, uh, back at the national, the last National Action Network conference, and she um, she was the moderator, and uh, she set me up really well with my questions because I launched a national campaign against bad cops, and uh, we had a great time, and uh, she pushed our platforms, and I appreciate her so much and for doing that, and she was a part of another song with P.J. Morton, and she made sure she called Terrence Crutcher's name, and, um, you know, so her voice is so valuable and so powerful. We need her, and, um, you know, we're all in this together, so I'm, I'm sure we'll be uh, crossing paths. I think we're actually going to be on a a call tomorrow together with Rock Nation where we get together and we talk about how we change these laws and these systems, so um, I look forward to seeing her. Okay, we're going to have to follow up with you next week. We're out of time right now, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher. I want to thank Jamie Elmore, and uh, I want to get back with you again next week to find out, or after the, uh, that will be next week. I want to find out how this whole thing went. So if you have time next next uh, Thursday uh, between 4 and 5 Central Time, 2 and 3 West Coast Time, please let me know, okay? Because we'd I like to find to out. come back. Yeah, we like to yeah, come Well, I mean, this race is not going anywhere, so we can't go anywhere either. So I want to thank you and Jamie very much for your time today and look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you so much. I hope to see you all at the conference on Sunday, aclu.org forward slash or backslash reparations. Thank you, Uncle Eddie. Right. Okay. All right, now. Thank you very much. Okay. I want to thank our guests today and let everybody know that uh, Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by a Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, Support of Seattle's Diversity Construction uh, Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions, CTAC Bar Group. They're not real busy now because they're at the airport. They'll be back. Stephanie Oakham, Soul Sis Media. Uh, hey, whatever's and Eddie Ride. We'll talk with you again uh, next Thursday. We'll be doing a special on Tony Orange, but we will split, uh, get uh, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher back on because we know that's what Tony Orange was about. So anyway, hey, we'll see the people uh, next week. And I keep working on uh, the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority. The board of directors should be in place uh, within a couple of weeks, and we will be open for business uh, to make sure we uh, treat our community and provide opportunities like the building was originally uh, erected to do with the Reverend Dr. Sammy Barry McKinney and the Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center. It was put there to train black folks to get meaningful employment, so they can be homeowners and not renters and have a quality of life like everyone else. So until then, Hayward, thank you very much. Eric, thank you very thank much. You. Talk with you again next Thursday.